This is a Federal News Network podcast. Federal contractors are bracing for radical changes in policy and the threat of a short-term government shutdown as they look forward to the coming transition. With where they're looking for information and perhaps some ideas on how to cope, the president and CEO of the Professional Services Council, David Berteau. And David, golly, uh, everywhere you look, there's the potential for big change back to where things were, say, four or five years ago. Let's talk about the uh, impacts on contractors from transition and what you've seen so far, the signs coming out. What's going on there? Well, thanks, Tom. And it is December of an election year, so this is the time where transition should be uh, uh, kicking into high gear, right? And uh, as you know, one of the big questions for contractors is, what does this mean for us? What does a new administration mean for us? So we look for signals everywhere we can. One of the places we look is, what have they actually said? And so you look at the stated priorities uh, of the Biden administration on their website, and you know they're quite big. I mean, it's COVID-19, which is obviously critical to everybody. Uh, it's economic recovery, which is obviously critical to everybody. And then it's racial equity and climate change, both big topics in, in the campaign. But the statements are so general that it's very hard to translate any of that into either business opportunities or constraints on, on business that may arrive from this, right? So then you look at their past record. Um, and of course, the past record, uh, Joe Biden was vice president. And and I don't want to draw too much from that. I mean, I've looked at the last four vice presidents who went on to become president, and none of them governed in the way that their predecessors did. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Nixon certainly didn't replicate Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, you know, <laughs> Hardly. And, right. Lyndon Johnson made a habit of breaking from uh, Kennedy's uh, uh, past. Uh, Gerald Ford, a little hard to compare Ford to Nixon because Ford never actually ran for office, but he also ran a very different. And, and of course, George H.W. Bush, um, was nothing like the Reagan's four years. And the world was different in all of those cases as well, right? And so you can't really draw too much from that. So then you look at all of their position papers. But again, they're so general that it's very hard to uh, extract from that. You know, okay, so greater emphasis on veterans. You could see that translating into some contract preferences, for example, or contract funding. Uh, but it's hard to predict uh, any specifics associated with that. So then the big question, of course, is the transition got off to a little bit of a slow start, right? It really wasn't until the last, uh, till, till uh, Pennsylvania uh, and, and uh, certified, uh, Michigan certified last week and Pennsylvania certified last week uh, that you ended up opening up the door to that. And so you look at what the impact of that will be. But there are some positive early signals. So uh, let me let me pause there before I go into those early signals and see what you think. Well, yeah, I think that that's all you can look at is what they have stated. And it is fairly vague, you know, climate change, bad, ending racism, good. Not that anyone would argue with those generalized types of statements. I guess the question is what it will come down to in what the administration will likely demand of contractors as conditions of doing business with the government. And that's where they do have some pretty good leverage, regardless of Congress. So tell me, what are some of the day one actions you might anticipate? You mentioned the idea of litmus tests for, for contractors. Right. So we're looking for early signals, right? And of course, one of the early signals is, is who you pick for these positions. Uh, but most of the agencies that will really drive government contracting uh, haven't, been, haven't been mentioned yet. We're only now beginning to talk about the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, which obviously has a big impact on on rulemaking, both for procurement rules and, and for uh, other rules that affect contractors. Um, but a couple of positive signs. One is the movement that we're seeing on the Hill on the FY21 appropriations, right? So if you go back four years, 
uh, when the Trump team was coming in, they basically said to the Hill, don't pass anything, leave it all to us, right? And so that ended up, it really ended up with a series of continuing resolutions that led to no full year appropriations for FY17 until seven months into the year, right? So uh, the fact that Congress is now undertaking that, you have to believe that there's at least an implicit and probably an explicit agreement with that from the Biden team. And that's a positive sign because it says they're not going to waste time going backwards. They're going to actually focus on the budgets going forward, right? So that's good. But then we're seeing signs as well, and not coming from the team, it's coming from other uh, players in the transition process of litmus tests for, particularly for appointees, right? And, and the idea that nobody from industry should ever be put in a position where they would actually oversee anything that has to do with industry because heaven forbid that they know what they're talking about. Yeah, we're already seeing some objections to a couple of the economic advisors because they have Wall Street experience. From a contractor's point of view, this is really important. And all of us who started our careers in the government and thought we understood contracting then came out and saw what it was like on the opposite side, right? It's two sides of a coin, but the backside of that coin feels very different than the front side. They have to be integrated. You have to be able, in order to get the maximum value from contracts, you have to have government officials who understand how the process works, how to get the most out of it, how to get better competition, how to get better requirements, how to get better source selection uh, processes, and how to run better contract. Most of the problems we see in contracts stem from either poorly defined requirements or poorly written and poorly executed contracts. They're not only the fault of the performers on those contracts. So you really need people in the government who understand this from both sides. Then there's the day one actions, right? And and I suppose someone has come up with a list because the you know the candidate Biden it keeps growing. (laughs) It keeps growing. It keeps growing. It's like a a day in Genesis, right? It may last a long, long time uh, before we finish. But I don't mean to diminish those. There are a lot of very important day one actions, I think. uh, And two of them, of course, is is signing the nominations and getting the confirmed people in place that Congress has already addressed so that you've got a government that's up and running on on day one. Uh, And the second is the executive orders or the rescissions of executive orders that come into play. And, And here's one where I think we're all paying a lot of close attention to executive order 13950, the combating race and sex stereotyping, where there's you know, suspension and debarment threats, there's hotline concerns, there's, there's uh, uh, concerns about the government telling com- companies what they can do with their own money on their own training of their own employees and actually make them potentially less competitive uh, in, in the marketplace for, for talent. But just rescinding an executive order doesn't undo everything. You know, you've already got now class deviation memo out, putting the language from that executive order into solicitations and into contracts you don't undo that simply by rescinding an executive order. You've got to take all the steps necessary to deal with those kinds of things at the contract level. This is what governing is all about. We're speaking with David Berto, president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. And there's some other kind of down on the ground issues to be concerned about. Comments due on the uh, latest CMMC, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, which has been proceeding apace through all of this. And those comments are due right now. And That's something the administration, the Biden administration, is going to have to decide what it wants to do about. Right. And and of course, this is an interim final rule issued under the defense FAR supplement. And so uh, it it takes effect uh, on the same day the comments are due. PSC is providing comments. They'll be uh, on our website. You can put a link to them uh, up so people can read what we have to say. There's something that takes effect immediately, which is the requirement that not only uh, that the CMMC standards will be put in place, but more importantly, the underlying standards from the NIST 800-171 documents 
uh, companies have to complete their self-assessments, their self-scoring, and turn those into DOD uh, for the uh, uh, reporting system that they maintain there. Uh, and that will become, that's a requirement, but it's not at all clear, and our comments actually ask a number of questions about this, what happens to companies that haven't completed that assessment, haven't turned it in? You know, there's 100,000 defense contractors uh, out there, and, and not all of them will have received the memo, right? And so uh, getting those assessments in becomes really, really critical here. And they, then the implementation of this, we're starting to see the beginnings of what they call pilot programs. They already had the Pathfinder programs to develop the process. Now you've got pilot contracts coming out. The DOD, more than it has in the past, is saying this is going to take five years to roll out. You raise a good question. What, if any, changes come from this? You certainly had people associated with the Biden campaign that were criticizing the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program. Um, but no one has actually offered an alternative that provides better cybersecurity. And clearly, what we have, uh, what we have is a growing threat. And what we're doing now is not enough to counter that threat. And so we're going to continue to work with our members to, uh, to both implement this and comply with the standards, even as we're trying to affect the implementation change through our comments and our interactions with the government. And earlier, you mentioned the whole budget situation, the fact that it looks like there is some kind of top-level agreement which Congress could pass $1.4 trillion for 2021. But there could still be a shutdown if the president decides to ignore that bill. And even though right. it would go into effect automatically at some point, there would still be that gap between his refusing to sign or not just choosing not to sign and when it would go into effect post-veto period, and that's 10 days. Right. Well, we have that image, you know, of the last time the president was sitting there with the big stack CR on his desk and or the table and say, I'm never going to sign another large omnibus bill like this. Well, he's going to get another large omnibus bill like this if Congress has its way. So there's two scenarios here that can play out. Uh, you know, the current continuing resolution expires midnight December 11th, and that's just next, a week from Wednesday, right? So uh, that's not very far off. Congress is working towards passing an omnibus bill for that, but we're already seeing some hangups on that. If they don't get it done in time, then they'll probably propose another short-term continuing resolution, maybe carried through till Christmas, give them two weeks to keep working on it. Well, what if the president doesn't sign that bill? But what if he doesn't veto it either? What if he just sits on it? Then we have a shutdown because we have a lapse in appropriations. Congress can't override a veto that hasn't occurred. It's nowhere in the Constitution does it allow you to do that. And the president has the constitutional authority to sit on a bill for 10 days before it becomes law. During those 10 days, we would have a lapse in appropriations and a full government shutdown. We're looking for signs that agencies are planning for this. We're not seeing very many of them. So we're advising our members, do what you always do when the potential risk is there. Probability may be low, but the consequences would be high. And that is, you know, talk to your customers, see what they're planning. Look at your schedule. Do you have any options that uh, come due? Do you have any deliverables that come due? Will there be somebody there to accept them? Get your invoices in so they're in the system and you can continue to get paid, right? Because government shutdowns treat contractors very, very differently than they treat government civilian employees. Yeah, so that means in all cases, because of the transition and change in policy and because of some of the short-term situations that are less known, you just got to be prepared and keep your ear to the ground if you are a contractor, especially, it seems, in this late period of 2020. You do. And I almost don't even like to talk about it because you sort of draw it to yourself by talking about it, right? But you do have to be prepared. 
Companies need to be prepared, and you can almost count on the fact that the government's not going to be doing the preparing itself as thoroughly as it would otherwise, because they see lots of optimism, right? Congress is working on a bill. They've, they've determined the amounts that need to be in each of the appropriations bills. They've got a whole week and a day to get this done, right? What, what, they could easily get a year's worth of work done in a week. Um, and, and so there's lots of reason for optimism there, but it's still prudent to plan. David Berto is president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. We'll end on that note. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. See you next time. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second. Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffles Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week. So patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.